Ladies and gentlemen, you are approaching the boardroom. Presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN 1063 and the free ESPN app. For the next hour, Ken Levick is your guide for a behind-the-scenes look at the business of sports. Now, let's be quiet as we enter the boardroom. Take it away, Ken. The biggest sports story in the world this week, not in the United States. It was in Europe. It as quickly as it started, it ended. That's where we're going to begin tonight on the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic, the only sports business radio show in the state of Florida. Me, Ken Levicka, and he, Riccaro, the sports professor on Twitter at Riccaro. He's the author of the book, The Sports Business Handbook, wherever books are sold. And uh, Rick, first of all, good evening to you. And second of all, uh, soccer. We know it's the biggest sport in the world, and we almost saw the face of it change forever, likely for worse, but we saw soccer also go the American capitalistic way and that get rebuffed immediately. What did you make of that fiasco this week with the birth and the death of the Super League? Well, I'm not sure it's dead. It's on life supports, and it's probably dead for the foreseeable future. concept still makes a lot of sense because they've really been talking about it. That was part of some of those conversations for at least eight years. Uh, American... Uh, stadium owners wanted to have the best teams, uh, not just in July and August friendlies, but playing for something. The uh, top teams in uh, the top leagues wanted some visibility beyond just winning their league on a regular basis. And so, obviously, the concept of money with huge TV rights always rears its head. They never didn't uh, didn't uh, estimate the FIFA uh, warrior mentality. You know, FIFA had been planning for uh, years, plus UEFA and the other organizations, what to do when and if this went public. So it was nuclear shot, nuclear response, and uh, one thing that nobody planned on was the leverage that FIFA brings to the table with the World Cup. If you threaten to move, uh, withdraw, uh, prohibit players from playing in the World Cup, that's pretty significant. So, you know, it it talked about revolutionizing the future of soccer. Six hours later, it revolutionizes absolutely nothing. How did the ownership, and in particular the American ownership in Europe, whether it's Stan Kroenke, uh, whether it is the Glazers with Manchester United, whether it's that conglomerate with Liverpool, the Fenway Group, how did they read the room so wrong when it came to how the public was going to react? Well, and it's not, you know, the public reacting was one piece of it. The the traditionalists in soccer, I guess you read the room one way if you believe that uh, money will buy everything by producing uh, the most significant opportunity you possibly could get. But then everybody's thinking, well, we're all traditionalists. We've had soccer for years. We like the way it is, warts and all, and, uh, you know, forget it. And so I think if there was any reading, it was a misunderstanding of how important that piece was. It is the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. We are in the opening bell here on ESPN 106.3, coming to you from the Phillips Point Studios, downtown West Palm Beach, right off the Intracoastal. Uh, all things sports business, we do it every Wednesday at 6 o'clock here on ESPN 106.3. Rick's 15 and 15 upcoming in uh, just a couple of moments. We get closer and closer to the NFL draft next weekend in Cleveland. And, man, the San Francisco 49ers, it seems like the draft starts at 3. That's where the Niners 
Bears are going to make uh, their much-anticipated pick of a quarterback. And we were discussing it uh, earlier today on, uh, on Ken Levick Alive. There is no other sport that can not only make or break a coach, his career, his future, like the quarterback position can, but I also don't think there's any other position in all of sports that can dictate a franchise's direction like quarterback. This is a lot of pressure on the Niners. Well, a lot of pressure on me, too, because, you know, you, you, you did the best that you uh, had for the day on, as you <laughs> keep self-promoting, Ken Levick alive. What's left for me? I mean, really? Is that the way you want to do it? All right, that's fine. All right, we're, we're, we're at an entirely new level now. Let me start by giving you the San Francisco 49ers answer by telling you that as we speak, I'm driving through Jacksonville. Oh. And all they talk about today is Trevor Lawrence, yep. Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence. And, of course, obviously the reason why you say the, uh, the Jaguars, uh, you know, start to draft at three, because Trevor Lawrence becomes the, you know, the, the, either the, the best or the worst in the history of the world as far as revolutionizing a franchise. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. The point of the draft being a uh, make or break like none other, you know, the only equivalent would be, the NBA occasionally with a generational uh, uh, a product, uh, NHL maybe once every 10 years with that same Gretzky, Sidney Crosby type product. But the NFL seems to have that with the quarterback position a lot more. And so, you know, it's not just the money that's made, but it's the value of the franchise. It's the marketing situation. Uh, and it's how the franchise enters into long-term stadium and marketing uh, issues and, and so th- this is this is something that everybody's taking seriously i know for a fact that uh, i usually reach out to a lot of different owners to do some things on a regular basis respectful of their time i go on complete lockdown for two weeks before the draft i don't kid myself nobody's going to call me back i'm offering it's <laughs> yeah. not as important as being in a draft room Yep. Yep. No. Uh, th- that is that is the truth, and uh, that's been my experience uh, with it as well. And don't worry, anything I bring up on Ken Levick Live, that's just workshopping for Wednesday night with you. Don't worry. Okay. Don't get a very well done. It, yeah. it takes that large foot out of your mouth. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, well Ford, done. Ford presented by the Honda Classic opening bell here on ESPN 106.3. Um, the Las Vegas Raiders really, really blew it. Uh, I mean. Uh, wholly lambasted for their I can breathe tweet after the verdict uh, with Derek Chauvin yesterday uh, in that uh, very, very um, high profile trial in Minneapolis. If you're a sports organization, if you're a sports league, do you have to come out with statements or social media posts about things like that in the social justice realm, in the social realm, or in the case of the Raiders, is it better to stay away and take that criticism of being silent as opposed to completely blowing it if you do put something out there? It's the Del More school of tweeting and saying whatever you want and then thinking about the implications mm-hmm. later. Remember his tweet about Chinese freedom cost the NBA so much money they're just now recovering with Tencent and some of the other Chinese companies trying to deal with that. But the point is, social media requires an entirely different level of PR analysis, crisis management, and being clever. You know, there's a, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, X percent chance of being clever with a tweet that makes national headlines. And an X percent chance, even if it's not as big, of falling on your face. Yep. And you don't take that chance. Why would you? Why would you even begin to take that chance? So... You know, it's not even the issue of saying the wrong thing. The issue is saying something that is 
anywhere close to the line. Uh, you know, people are taught right now in social media and journalism classes, such as there is, on how to say some things that make it sound like they're talking about something that's important, but not really saying anything. And I think the Raiders need to take that class. Yeah, yeah, I think that's extremely well said. Let's finish with this in the opening bell before we get to the uh, the 15 in 15 here on uh, the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. And that is the UFC this Saturday in Jacksonville is going full capacity. Dana White wants to be the first in a lot of things. He wants to be the first to regularly bring back fans to full capacity. And that journey begins uh, where you're at right now in Jacksonville. Yesterday, speaking with Yahoo, uh, made sure to mention how crazy the media was with this COVID thing. That is exact quote from Dana White. Uh, from a business standpoint, is it more conducive for him to continue to stoke those flames, the divisiveness, because the people coming out to these arenas, they want to hear that. They want to hear Dana go after the media machine. Or is that bad business from Dana White? I think it's good business for some people who might not otherwise go. They want to have a little fun. But I think it's outweighed by the uh, terrible business of people who otherwise you know, want to actually listen to the scientists, go see some entertainment, mask up, and still get to go to the event. You know, he doesn't have to go do what he's doing to get more people out. He's already got the sellout. So let's have him be a little more careful about what he's saying about public gatherings. But I am the last person in the world to give any suggestions to Dana White. He's not going to follow me or anybody else anyway. (laughs) That's the truth. He marches to uh, the beat of one drum, and that is his own, and that'll do it for the opening bell. He is Rick Caro, the sports professor, author of the book, The Sports Business Handbook. Get that at mascotbooks.com, wherever books are sold. I'm Ken Levicka. Later on in the show, Rick sits down with the principal and executive VP of HKS, Brian Truby, to talk about the future of sports facilities post-pandemic. What adjustments are going to be made? Is it ever going to be the same? All of those answers or question, uh, all those questions, I should say, are answered and more when Rick sits down with Brian Truby. But when we return, it's the fastest 15 minutes in radio. It's the 15 and 15, the 15 biggest sports stories of the week. And Rick gives you a full education in just 15 minutes' time, including the NFL. And when it comes to the COVID vaccine, what is their stance? We'll discuss that and more when we come back. Board were presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN 106.3. We know Major League Baseball offered incentive for players and staff to get vaccinated. Is the NFL going to do the same with COVID-19? We welcome you back to the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic, talking sports business on a Wednesday night, and we do it every Wednesday night. Me, Ken Levicka, and, of course, Rick Harrell, the sports professor, at Rick Harrell on Twitter. Don't forget to read the book, The Sports Business Handbook, wherever books are sold, and get it online at mascotbooks.com. Rick will talk with Brian Truby, Principal and Executive VP of HKS, the future of sports facilities post-pandemic. That'll come up just over 15 minutes from now. But it's time now for the 15 and 15, 15 biggest sports business stories of the week. And Rick, a full comprehensive breakdown in just 15 minutes time. And let's go ahead and jump right into it with number one, the NFL expecting key members of football operations staff to receive a vaccine for the upcoming season. You're not required to, but if you're not, you're in Tier 2 or Tier 1. Uh, we're not doing it. Uh, if they have religious or or, uh, or other certification, you know, nobody's going to make them. But if they don't, they're not able to work in close proximity with the players. 
the league's vaccination arrangement with the players negotiated separately with the Players Association, along with other pandemic-related off-season protocols. It is a microcosm of every workplace in the world now. How do you let double vaccinated people back, stadiums and otherwise, and what do you do with people that say they don't want it? There is, as we get to number two here in our 15 and 15, a very vocal minority of people that are opposed to vaccine passports in the United States. But in Britain, the leading sports bodies say, yeah, if you want to get back in the stands at soccer games, cricket, golf, tennis, you need a COVID vaccine passport. All England Lawn Tennis Club, English Football League, uh, Scottish Professional Football League, England and Wales, rugby, golf, Silverstone, uh, racing circuit. All of these entities are saying as we get more sophisticated, we are going to track those who've had passport uh, vaccines proven by passports and those who not. And even though it is a vocal minority of people that complain, individual liberties and the like, it seems to be the best way to get people back into those stadiums sooner than later. We head to number three here in the 15 and 15. He's Rick Harl, the sports professor. I'm Ken Levicka. Last week, you had your second installment, the comeback, sports in a worldwide pandemic, and that's presented by Foley and Lardner. Uh, Rick, you're the one who moderates the entire discussion. What were some of the key takeaways from that last week? Well, Greg Ballard, who was the head of the Mayor's Sports Alliance, uh, emphasized the role that Indianapolis uh, played, but also using amateur sports as a way to bring back economic impact to the city with the help of Eli Lilly and otherwise the NCAA, etc. Brian Truby, we'll hear from him in a few minutes, facilities in the future. Janet Marie Smith, a designer extraordinaire, Boston, L.A., Fenway, uh, and the new facility in Worcester, talking about uh, making sure people stay in there, go to the stadium, and have entertainment, not just going because you have to have a game. Frank Sapovich, the former Super Bowl guy at the NFL, talking about spectators, in-person, relevance, local markets, and such. We do it every second Wednesday. Next month, we're doing it live from Worcester. They're opening up a ballpark. Larry Latino, the old Pawtucket Red Sox, are now the Worcester Sox, the Woo Sox. And we're doing it the day after the opening of that facility up in Worcester. Let's go to number four, Caesars, DraftKings, FanDuel, big winners. They're the first three official sportsbook sponsors of the big, mighty NFL. Just shy of a billion dollars with all three, the trifecta, let's call it. Caesars as the official casino, DraftKings as the official daily fantasy provider, and FanDuel with all of the betting operations. They're also going to announce future plans for other betting organizations for later on this year beginning of next year we used to say when we were dealing with the nfl stay away from gaming now you can't afford not to be directly involved and that also brings us to number five you mentioned DraftKings, DraftKings and the pga tour and in particular uh when you're talking about tpc scottsdale the waste management phoenix open they're entering into an agreement that can be very lucrative a 19th hole experience at TPC Scottsdale where fans can gather wagers, watch, food and beverage, and the like. They'll become the exclusive sports betting partner of the Waste Management Phoenix Open. So it's not only an active venue on the 16th, but it's that whole relationship with the event. Good for both sides. 
It is the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic, and we are in the 15 and 15 here on ESPN 106.3. Rick Carl, the sports professor. I'm Ken Levicka, and let's go ahead and head to number six. And soccer, Austin, Texas, now in the ranks of pro sports markets with Austin FC launching. Just behind the likes of Cincinnati and Milwaukee, head of markets like Vegas, Jacksonville, Oklahoma City, according to the Sports Business Journal. Austin, big corporate market. It enters the rarefied air of having a big five professional sports franchise. And just like those cities that have those one teams in those cities, it's a big deal for them. They can generate significant corporate support and the like. Good for them and good for the sport. Staying with the MLS number seven, they have a major sponsorship deal, but it's fairly unique. It's 80 to $100 million, and it's with Procter & Gamble. Well, the uniqueness is the diversity because they will bring their brands, Charmin, Crest, Gillette, Old Spice, among others, and they will decide how to leverage the tie-up with the MLS. They're a Cincinnati headquartered company, so you're pretty sure the Cincinnati soccer team will get significant dollars, but so will everybody else in the MLS. It becomes a really big deal. Gary Stevenson, the MLS Deputy Commissioner, says it is a game changer, and we believe it is. Let's go to number eight here in the 15 in 15, and uh, the Summer Olympics are upcoming. They'll eventually get here. They rescheduled Tokyo Games, and for the most part, encouraging signs and polls about Americans that will take some interest in the games and at least follow it. 47% of U.S. consumers polled said they will support holding the Olympics. Tokyo, 55% of millennials giving thumbs up. That's gracious and generous, but, you know, it doesn't matter. The fans can't travel to Tokyo anyway from the U.S. And uh, what they can do is watch and buy ads, which is why NBC continues to be so excited about it. And the brand uh, loyalty and avidity especially with the 100 days out for the Olympics. Very important for the Paralympics, very important for Tokyo and the Olympics itself, and obviously extremely important for NBC. Yeah, it's such a wild contrast because in Japan, it is wildly unpopular that these games are actually going to happen, and especially in Tokyo. But in the United States, you're right, NBC, they've got to be thrilled at how this is working out with a closed games and forces people to watch television coverage. Yeah, and you know they're going to take advantage of it. And if you're starting to watch NBC and NBC Sportsnet and all the other affiliates, they're promoting the heck out of the Olympics, even though it's 100 days away. Well, number nine, and we stick with Japan. That's a golf country. Hideki Matsuyama, the Masters champion, you said last week, and it's beginning to seem very likely that that commercial flight that he took back to Japan after winning the Masters may be the final commercial flight he'll ever take. There are major opportunities coming his way. Well, yes, there are great to be his agent he is uh humble uh he'll probably start uh grasping the speaking opportunities in english a little more we'll see what happens but remember he makes about eight to ten million dollars a year off the course now lexus srixon nomura for example there are marketers who say that given the meteoric rise in naomi osaka's popularity when she won in the tennis world his endorsement opportunities could be up to $600 million. That's Tiger Woodsian. And when you think about it, just starting will be his opportunity to most probably light the Olympic torch in Tokyo this summer. 
Number 10, boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. We're in the 15 in 15. Rick Harlow sits down with principal and executive vice president of HKS, Brian Truby, the future of sports facilities post-pandemic. That comes up in just a couple of minutes. But number 10, and it's the NCAA. It's not just name, image, likeness that is about to transcend the sport. It is also... According to the Associated Press, the vote that will have athletes able to transfer immediately or play immediately upon transfer and no longer have to wait a year. Yeah, 4,000 football and basketball players, men and women, are currently in that transfer portal. Um, about 12,000, about 15% of those athletes transferred in 2019. We have a lot more this year. The bottom line is that this is a softening of position probably at the right time for the NCAA to try to be a peacemaker in name, image, and likeness down the road. But whatever the motive is, we're now going to have a lot more players transfer in the months ahead. Number 11, the UFC says bye-bye to Reebok, and now Venom is their official outfitter moving forward. Yeah, and Venom is not putting up as much money, but they are getting a top-notch product increase in pay and compensation for all of the wrestlers and a real opportunity to take a foothold into the UFC. We've already discussed how popular the UFC is, and now Venom's going to be part of that popularity. Also popular cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and the Sacramento Kings, as we get to number 12, are going to be the first major sports franchise to offer Bitcoin payment options to all players and staff. Hard to believe. You know, first we saw the Oakland A's being willing to open up the sweet sales for their team to pay Bitcoin. We've seen Bitcoin as a marketing device with Premier League and other teams all over the world. Now we have the opportunity where Vivek Ranadive, the owner of the Sacramento Kings, basically says, staff, players, you want all or some paid in Bitcoin? Just tell me how much and we will do it. You take a gamble in the stock market with cash, now you take a uh, gamble with Bitcoin in the front end that you're going to be making a lot more money before you even invest. Let's go to number 13, where Ken Levicka Arena has a nice ring to it, Rantoul, Illinois, and I've been there more times than I actually like to admit. There is really nothing there. It has a new sports complex, and they'll name it after you if you're paying $10 million. It's one of the reasons why they're so desperate to find partners, because I've been there, too, and you and I can both agree there is absolutely nothing there. There is a family sports complex with uh, 18 fields, and what they're planning to do is to generate a name-it-for-the-day, name-it-for-the-year kind of deal, almost kind of like Roger Dean family Chevrolet, but this becomes a little bit different because this is tailored to the amateur market. It's $10 million, a lot of money. You know, neither of us can even sniff that, but already brought in about half a million dollars worth of sponsorship just because of the noise about this whole sponsorship deal good for them number 14 we go overseas the indian premier league's season is underway and in that country cricket is king and the championship race officially on people have no idea how big it is more than twice as many people watch the 2020 season opener of cricket as last year's super bowl 200 million to 96 million Disney and Hotstar did a deal, and 30% of Disney's 100 million plus subscribers are from Hotstar, which is India's exclusive IPL 
streaming options. LeBron James, 82 million Instagram followers. Virat Virat Kohli, captain of the Indian national team, 108 million. So we in America think that we have the top sport and we're a big deal. Well, we are, but this is bigger. And then finally, number 15, and this is the best story this week on the 15 in 15. Bonusfinder.com wants to pay a baseball fan $500 as a MLB professional food tester. Yeah, I think we need to do the uh, uh, heart monitor that's also <laughs> going to be involved with a person eating all this stuff. For a mere 500 bucks, you're going to get all of what you need, including unlimited access to hot dogs but you got to rank them appearance color quality of bun bread flavor weigh in on the ballpark experience and once chosen the winner of the contest will join the exclusive fund and club of bonus finder workers who've been past paid as burger ice cream candy and pumpkin pie tasters i can't wait I'm going to apply right after I get off the phone. I was going to say, uh, hopefully I can get you once a month uh, in between your duties as Major League Baseball food tester. Your schedule is about to become very, very crammed. Uh, and that'll do it for the 15 in 15. Rick, when you come back, you're not done yet because you've got Brian Truby, the principal executive vice president of HKS. And I think that the most pressing and most important topic coming out of the pandemic in sports is what happens now to the facilities? Are we ever going to see them the same again? Stadiums, arenas, the social distancing, the seating. What is this going to be like? This is actually a very pertinent, very important conversation that might take years to really figure out. Well, and Brian is one of the best, if not the best, in the business. They designed the uh, stadium for the Indianapolis Colts that is also basically a basketball facility. They built AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Globe Life, which just opened for the Texas Rangers, Minnesota, uh, the uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, where they had the Super Bowl, and SoFi for the Chargers and the and the Rams. But more than that, Brian is an expert on how to put a stadium into harmony with the community, how to maximize revenue, how to develop the safe stadium of the future, and he shared all of that with us at the uh, Foley uh, Comeback uh, Leadership in a Worldwide Pandemic event we had last week his comments were considerably important so we need to share them today rick thank you as always appreciate it we'll talk to you saturday for honda classic live and we'll do it again next wednesday for the boardroom okay as always sir yes sir rick harrow the sports professor and he has brian truby principal and executive vp of hks when we return boardroom presented by the honda classic on espn 106.3 Now, we talked about something that we did last week, which hopefully will continue down the road. Comeback, Sports in a Worldwide Pandemic, presented by Foley and Lardner. And I had the honor of presenting with Bob Dupay, the co-chairman of the Foley and Lardner Sports and Entertainment Group, along with Kevin Schultz and John Israel. Former Indianapolis Mayor Greg Ballard noted that 45 years ago, Indy leaders selected amateur sports as a way to promote the city. They've worked with the NCAA and other sport-governing bodies to bring in high-tech profile events and build that needed infrastructure. Janet Marie Smith, the Dodgers executive, pointed out that fans no longer want to take in a game and event from their seats only, so facility developers have to create an environment that's flexible, 
experiential, and safe. And as fast traffic events and entertainment founder Frank Sapovitz emphasized, that the pandemic has taught us that in-person spectators have to make our sports more relevant, generate interest in local markets, and boost broadcast numbers. The event will continue the second Wednesday of every month through the comeback and beyond. And the important left out of this roster was Brian Truby. The reason why is because we have his interview here for a larger perspective. He's a principal with global design firm HKS, responsible for all sport entertainment projects. He's worked with the Cowboys, the Rams, the Chargers, the Texas Rangers, the Indianapolis Colts, Milwaukee Brewers, all to build their state-of-the-art facilities at that point. He's part of the global design firm, which deals not only with sports, but entertainment, medical, residential, commercial, and all kinds of architecture, and adds significant perspective to the entire world of comeback, safe stadium of the future, facility design, and the like. I give you Brian Truby. Brian has been really busy recently. He's always been associated with iconic industry-defining buildings, such as buildings for the Cowboys, the Colts, the Vikings, and now the Rams and the Chargers, which will host the Super Bowl next year. What was your secret? You know, you said in the Sport Business Handbook you contributed in that for the development of the new generation of new multipurpose facilities that has inspired the next wave of design innovations, you've got to reinvent and approve the building type on a regular basis. What do you mean by that? And uh, why does that separate you from the rest? Rick, to answer your question, uh, the one thing we've always been focused on is what we call a serious architectural expression. Communities that we work in, uh, we create an understanding that what we're after is doing something that's relevant to the place, the time, and the culture that we're building in. Colts, Cowboys, Vikings, and SoFi, all radically different, uh, but very high quality buildings. And uh, they need to be progressive. In other words, every building needs to be better than the last. And, uh, you know, the second thing we really focus on is that they need to be innovative. They need to have things in them that haven't been done before. And uh, one of the key things that we've done for quite some time is to really f focus on making these buildings multi-purpose in a good way uh, rather than multi-purpose in a way that was happening in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even the 90s, unfortunately. And, and so these places become hosts to worldwide events, and they create attention for the communities that they're built in and become symbolic uh, and iconic for the communities that they're built in. You know, these buildings are unique in the fact that uh, in Indianapolis, we designed for the NCAA as an equal tenant uh, to the NFL, the Colts. And so, you know, helping the NCAA see they could do these center court 72,000 seat configurations for the first time for men's final four uh, was a game changer for them. And, and that goes to our passion to make our buildings significantly more profitable than our competitors. And then, of course, when you, you know, see AT&T, we ramped that up significantly uh, working with the Cowboys and the Joneses. Uh, to create uh, what we wanted to be uh, at that time and has since been proven that uh, as really one of the most important entertainment uh, venues in the world. 
uh, and hosting all kinds of events uh, up to and including crazy things you'd never thought would be in a stadium like the Country Music Awards and uh, All-Star Games. And uh, so that's really been a, an important part of what, what we're focused on in our practice. Brian, you also wrote that the process of delivering a monumental building can span many years from initial planning to opening day. Um, I think you designed the Acropolis or Parthenon as well, and it took about uh, a thousand years for that. But in all seriousness, staying focused throughout that period requires a perspective that comes from deep commitment and passion for what each building represents, you wrote. Has the pandemic inspired specific changes in design and concept for new or renovated buildings? Well, you know, first off, the time period to get these projects done uh, is unprecedented. There's not many buildings uh, and projects that, that can take 10 years, you know, really from beginning of the vision to to opening. And so our practice has really been shaped around that. And one of the things that we focus on to answer the first part of your question is the real estate and uh, optimizing and monetizing the surrounding real estate. So this image of the Vikings, the kind of aerial view of downtown Minneapolis, you know, our focus and, and what we started saying when we were working on that project was for a billion dollar stadium, you should get four to six billion in real economic real estate uplift in the immediate area. And we're over uh, four billion now, four years later after opening that building. And so our focus on the real estate is something that you'll see is a very important part of our practice. The other thing that I think is really important uh, about HKS that's that's radically different and pointed and specifically and strategically at the situation that we're in right now is not only are we a leader in the hospitality industry working for all the most prestigious brands, but we're also uh, the lead provider to the healthcare industry. And so uh, that has really taught us how to design things that have a very high quality look, high quality feel, uh, which is the reason our buildings are known for having the finest fan experience on all levels, uh, but also allows us to understand how to create environments that are easy to clean how to treat them uh, appropriate mechanically. These are some of our most, uh, I think, important learnings from being in the healthcare industry for 45 years. And so the combination of those things gives us a real powerful way to address the, the, the very real issues that we're dealing with in our industry right now around opening our venues. Yeah, and, 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 and frankly, you had a very unique distinction on this because You've been a mouthpiece uh, spokesperson uh, in the industry as the industry has emphasized the safe stadium uh, of the future. Uh, what are some of the major focuses in this area specifically about making stadiums safer? SoFi and Globe Life Field. And uh, those two projects continue our real focus on doing two things, providing uh, more space per person uh, than previous venues. Uh, we started this kind of thinking with AT&T. AT&T is around 3 million square feet. At the time we completed AT&T, the largest NFL venue was in uh, Houston and it was about uh, 2 million, 2.1 million square feet. This translates 
to two very important things. Number one, it allows you to have the space to create the preeminent uh, fan experience, and it allows you to have the back of house space to produce and host all the very unusual uh, additional entertainment events. And, and more importantly, it allows you to invent events. And as you look through SoFi, the thing that we did there that was so progressive to even our portfolio was really putting three venues under one large open air, uh, but protected from uh, rain and the elements, uh, clear roof, the kind of space in the concourses is very important to be able to make people feel comfortable coming back to events and not being crowded through three or four different entries, but having access to the venue through multiple entries and really allows us to, I think, from a continuous standpoint, uh, host these events, all kinds of events, in a way that make people feel safe and actually make them uh, safer in our, our, new, our new world that we're all entering into now. Globe Life for a minute. Talk about the sellout that you know happened on opening day and, and, and how you thought it came off. One of the things we've done in our venues is separate the concourses into not a single main concourse, but multiple concourses. So when you segment the population, you instantly do something that uh, creates what feels like a more intimate environment. Uh, but what it also does is allow you to provide more space for people to access all the things that make that uh, fans say enhance the experience of being in our venues. And Globe Life Field does all those things. There's actually three concourses that make up uh, what people think are the main concourse. There's two below that uh, that accommodate the lower bowl, and the main concourse becomes a basically a street, the public realm for the project. And these other larger views inside the venue show what it feels like with the roof open and with the roof closed. Those kinds of things, uh, in fact, make people feel and uh, make them safer uh, in these kinds of environments, too. You can feel the breeze in this venue like we all did for opening day, and that's one of those things that makes it feel like a truly uh, outdoor ballpark, which is really one of our primary goals. You can see even with the roof closed on a couple of the images, how much light is coming through. Uh, the roof and the sidewalls. And then, of course, the big arched uh, uh, concourse on the upper concourse. Our upper concourse goes all the way around, and you can see the amount of uh, space there. So besides being the only upper concourse to go all the way around the venue, uh, it also provides a lot of space and some really phenomenal views of, of the game itself. Brian obviously adds specific perspective with a very good vision as to what facilities can do, not just to renovate and to be a catalyst for development, but to maximize the revenue for the owners and clients as well. Watchability, obviously a big part of the NFL and how popular it is and whether or not people are watching and TV ratings take place and sponsors are happy and uh, some major rule changes today to look out for that could affect 
the watchability of games, either better or worse. Owners voting today. Welcome back to the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. Talking sports business. And again, join us every Wednesday night, 6 o'clock here on ESPN 106.3. Final couple of minutes here in the show, but uh, want to run through what NFL owners approved today. And when it comes to replay, replay officials now can offer referees advice based on what they've seen on broadcast replays in possession, completed or intercepted passes, location of the ball relative to the boundary or the end line, and whether a player is down by contact, coaches won't have to throw challenge flags to prompt that advice. Some replay officials have been giving referees informally the insight for years, so now you can legally do that across the board. Also, NFL owners approving a relaxation of rules for the numbers that players of certain positions can wear because of the expanded practice squads. Running backs, receivers, tight ends, DBs, linebackers can all wear numbers now in the single digits. Approval of a one-year experiment in an attempt to make it easier to recover onside kicks. I don't see how this could possibly be a bad thing that would make the NFL less watchable. In 2021, the receiving team on kickoffs are going to be limited to nine players within 25 yards of the ball last year. NFL teams recovered only three of 67 onside kicks. For me, this is a much needed rule. Well done by the NFL and NFL owners to make the onside kick again something that can legitimately happen and uh, and, and alter a game still. Also, Elimination of overtime in preseason games. That's a good thing. We don't need OT in preseason games. Uh, There's also the change in a rule that's now going to force a loss of down if two passes are completed behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, That is, for example, a ball tipped at the line of scrimmage goes back to the quarterback and uh, then he throws it into the flat or tries to just dump it off to somebody and uh, it's incomplete once again. That is a loss of down. I think that is excellent as well. Uh, And then also, a rule change that ensures the enforcement of all accepted penalties during successive try attempts. The enforcement of all accepted penalties during successive try attempts. This to make sure that offsetting penalties can't benefit the team that has committed the penalties. And that is a look at what NFL owners approved today with the rule changes for 2021. That'll do it for us. Don't forget to listen to the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic Podcast. Subscribe and rate it. It's available for you wherever you get your podcast. For Rick Carl, the sports professor, I'm Ken Lavica. We'll do it again next Wednesday. Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN 106.3. Good night, everybody.